Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Life Together Unscripted. Today I sit down and chat with a mate, Ira Boots. I met Ira a handful of years ago. We were serving together on a local music team and then got to know a bit more about him and a bit more of his backstory as he was going through a painful and challenging divorce. And as I heard about his story, it, he's the quintessential prodigal son. He uh, was a pastor's kid and he had to go out and experience some really hard years. And experiencing those hard years definitely shaped him. We talked about uh, mental health, uh, anxiety, battling anxiety, depression, the benefits and the goodness of counseling, normalizing that in and amongst the church. And uh, we also just sat down and talked about what it means to be open and honest in the Christian community. I hope this story is an encouragement if you are struggling today. And I hope that uh, if you are struggling, please do reach out. Uh, understand that we are all broken people in need of the loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, so thankful that Ira has that and I have that and that we all have that if we are in Jesus. So I hope this blesses you guys. Be good. Peace. There he is. Hey. How are you, bud? Not too bad. How are you? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Um, is is NASA going to be a little bit bummed out that you got a nipple in this photo, or? <laughs> First time's free, baby. First time's free. <laughs> Next there time you got to subscribe. There it is. Hey, um, as a heads up, we are recording right now. Yes. Uh, so. Um, as part of this show, there's two rules because it's unedited, because it's unscripted. You can opt out at any time that you want. You can just be like, mate, that's too sensitive or I just don't want to go there. You can pass it on. Or yeah. if we get stuck or you just want to know something on this end, you can just flip the interview at any point in time. You'd be like, mate, you take that question or, you know, whatever you want. I said Ooh. to my, look at the gun show. I said to my beautiful lady, I said, there's not anxiety, but I'm interested to see where this goes. Yeah. Very yeah, interested. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, for starters, how about we uh, jump into, um, tell me about um, empowerment, youth empowerment. Tell me about what you do as kind of like a side gig. Um, tell me about some of, you know, your, your online presence in that space. Yeah. So I felt once the cleaning company had established itself and I was, I suppose a few people know now I was working two hours a week, three hours a week maximum yeah. <laughs> i felt this i felt guilty yeah okay so going from a teaching career of nine years into a cleaning company and so i suppose a year and a half in from me retiring from teaching i had some guilt about not having to work everyone else around me had to go to work and mm. so i thought well what am i passionate about and obviously after a teaching career of nine years I'm passionate about helping young people and a lot of the issues that I have dealt with in my life. So I don't claim these things own me anymore. Oh, see, I was going to have a spoon off and I thought, oh, I shouldn't drink on a video. Nay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I felt guilty and I thought, listen, I've always connected with young people as a pastor's son growing up. I was always prophesied youth, 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 youth. And I thought that meant, being a pastor's kid, I had to be a youth leader. Yeah. And so in the last couple of years, I really felt impressed upon me that it wasn't about being a youth leader in a church, in a position paid. That's what I do as a job. I thought that I have something to say about depression, about anxiety, about relationships, about what it is to be a man with integrity and to be a real man with how you treat women, because I have made some mistakes and we might get there, but who knows? And how to be a woman that knows your worth. So as a teacher, I've seen everything. I had kids having sex behind a mulch pile near a bus shed back in Perth somewhere and then coming to class. And I've had a girl break down at a, at a camp about how um, my ex claimed to um, save her virginity for our marriage. And this girl was like, oh, my gosh, at 14, I wish I had done something like that. So I wanted to go into schools and if the, at the age of, it was 35 then, but 36 now, if I could share my story and give some young people some advice that are 20 years younger than me, they might not possibly end up in jail, didn't end up in prison, praise the Lord. Um, they might not harm other people. They might not harm themselves. They may avoid some of the mental health battles that I've dealt with. No and I like, you know, you know, parts of my story, I suppose. And it's been dark at times, 
Yeah, no doubt. And and brother, we'll we'll kind of just unravel as we go. One thing I do want to say though, um, I'm getting a bit of vertigo on this end because you're uh, like a proper, um, you know, Italian or what? What's your heritage? You're, you're speaking with oh. your hands. You're getting all crazy and excited. Half Sri Lankan. Okay. Half white American. Okay. All right. So your Sri Lankan's coming out, brother, and you're getting all crazy. Yeah, so yeah, just yeah. try to stabilize because I know yeah. you're going to be uh, passionate, and that's all good. Yes. But uh, yeah, because it's on my lap, so that's probably my first mistake. That's all right. Just, yeah. you know, try to be mindful of that if anyone's watching, you know, at some point in time. Um, cool. Tell me about uh, what does that specifically look like when you go to speak to youth? Um, yep. What's something that you, what, what does a typical session look like? Um, and we'll start there and maybe we'll talk about, you know, moments of grace in the midst of that yep. or. Yep. So the way I was going to structure initially, I always in my darkest times dabbled in hip hop. So I write. Cool. And uh, it's been said to me that I write well. That's that's other people's, you know. Who's for them to decide? Who do people um, ascribe you to? Like, who do they say you sound like in terms of the hip hop world? The track that I have performed in Perth, and we were getting to the place of recording, was very aggressive. So it was very much a Tupacy feel. So yeah, very okay. lyrically melodic, poetic. Every four bars, all the words rhymed. It was very much sort of just driving along. And then a hook that draws you in that everyone can obviously get onto. Mm. So it was going to start with the music. And I've actually in the last two days just come back to wanting to now start producing my own tracks and then maybe recording in ISO. Because what else do we have to do? No doubt. So um, from there, so there would be some music because obviously they get kids on side. What I learned when I was teaching is I could win young people over very easily. And so whether it was the break dancing, the drumming, the rapping, the funny stories of humor. I want to go in with that. And then I just want to punch him right in the chest with some truth, <laughs> yeah. some truth. Like I just think young people just need to hear it. They need to see a grown man with some muscles and some tattoos break down in tears and talk about how he punched someone square in the face while he was drunk or how, you know, like, you know, it's, he was sitting in a cell that was no bigger than like your average shower for hours and didn't know to, I need to see my lawyer and blah, you know, I've, I've got stories. And to this day, I still get very emotional about that. And I think most of my power in is how in is in how raw and how real I am. And I think that's is what would differentiate me from other youth communicators. I don't necessarily like um, motivational speaker as a title. I want to communicate to youth about my past and tell them that I changed my thinking to being kind, loving, and ge- generous in everything that I do. Mm. That is how I want to live my life. And I want to teach kids that you can shift your mindset just like you can use a filter on Snapchat or into Instagram. You could do that in your mind. And I learned post-divorce that if I choose this path, no matter what's being said about me, no matter what's been done to me, no matter what I've done, if I am kind, loving, and generous in everything I do, from this point onwards, no one can fault me. Mm. Absolutely, man. Hey, that's a really interesting thing that you talk about. So whether it's mental health, whether it's um, situational things that we're struggling through, um, we can process life through the filters, right? Like you're mm. just talking about, like how you can change that. Um, where did that revelation come about? You said post-divorce, but was that something that you were processing earlier than that? Or was there you know, a catalyst that brought you to this moment that I'm like, look, this is the way that I want to shape the way that I live. I suppose a lot was being, when you go through something so life altering like that or life changing, a lot's being said about you. And I, in the midst of it, had this still small voice say, you don't need to defend yourself. You don't need to be right. You need to heal. So I spent time with pastors. So it was Pastor Andrew Judd, I think at the time and a psychologist who I still see once a month, whether I need it or not. And believe me, we all need that. If I can look you all dead in the eyes. <laughs> um, and I decided that I don't want to talk about her. I don't want to talk about uh, the adultery. I don't want to talk about anything to do with that. I want to talk about me, my mental health, my temper, what I need to improve as a human. Cause I think a lot of people that go through something like that with a relational breakdown or uh, your parents splitting up, or someone abusing you or whatever the catalyst is. We as humans like to blame our shortcomings on other things. And at the age of 34, I think when this all occurred, I'm a 34 year old man. 
I need to stand up and behave as such. Yeah. And so I thought I need to look this dead in the eyes and see who I truly am. So good, man. I had a um, similar, somewhat similar moment in that um, I grew up, uh, had some challenging years in life and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And um, reconciling with my mom took a long time. And part of that process, I can't remember where it was, but somewhere in my 30s, she's like, Dom, you can continue to play this victim role and you can continue to blame me. But mm. ultimately, you're not going to grow like you're going to stay stuck there. Yeah. And it, I was pissed when I heard it, you know, because we're, we're going back and forth and, and reconciliation is a messy process. It's a long process. Yeah. And um, and I was pissed at the time. And I'm like, she's right. Like, mm. you know, there's that age old um, adage of like, um, you know, the anchor is the thing that drags you down to the bottom. You can let go at any time. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's something so good about that. Tell me. Uh, you mentioned how you see a psychologist um, once yep. a month. Um, what have you learned in that time? And you also were highly endorsing that. So what is it about going to see a therapist or counselor or psychologist uh, that's been helpful for you? Hey, you walked right into this one. When you're sick, who do you go and see? <laughs> a doctor. Right? Yep. When you have the flu, when something's not right within your body, you go and see a professional. What can I take or what can I do? Normally, I'd hope it was what can I do before it's what can I take. Mm -hmm. to get healthy. So with a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a counselor, it's, it's that situation. If something's not right and listen, we, we have this stigma around mental health and I know we're trying to battle it as people, but it's still there. So I found that if I go and see this person, they might help me navigate through these psychological, emotional, all these issues. Because this person is a professional. They've studied just as hard as doctor. They are a doctor. They're a head doctor, not a body doctor. So for me, I thought, why not talk to a professional and see that I can feel things aren't right within me. I, can, mm. I know that I can snap like that mm. and get angry and yell and curse or whatever my shortcoming is. And I think you'll find that out is that I'm very forthcoming with my, you know, where I fall short in this world. Because how are you going to move forwards if you just pretend those things aren't going on? Yeah. And I just wanted to expose my inner thoughts and, and see. And I feel like I can talk to this lady about everything. I wrote notes about my last session uh, know, five days ago mm. and I delved deep. I said, these are some of these inner thoughts and feelings that I have. And I feel that I shouldn't be thinking like this. And, mm. and this lady helps me work through it. And by the end of the session, she was like, I did not think we would get to this point today. I thought this mm. was going to, and you've done some work and we've done some work. And I've found that, that this lady has, I don't want to say her name. So that's what yeah, I'm yeah, referring to. My, yeah. my, my psychologist has said, um, she has been there since my move to Melbourne, 2013. So I probably first saw, saw her 2014 and she was there for, before I got engaged and married. Uh, when something occurred in, in through that engagement period, like a, some mm. adultery occurred and that, that rocked me as a man. Mm. And then I decided that I'm a man of my word and I want to see this relationship through. If I've asked you to marry me, then I think that we should be able to overcome anything that comes our way. Mm -hmm. And within the um, relationship, I found that I was struggling with depression and anxiety and it was taking a toll on my relationships. Yeah. And then, um, um, yeah, more happened and she's just been there every step of the way. And I think it's, with those hands, bro. <laughs> and I think it's, it's something that has propped me up and, and, and been another voice other than the voices in my head. Yeah, man, that's so good. Tell me about this. So well, I'd love to um, maybe chat about the marriage and the divorce at some point in time, but what I do want to continue on with and um, speak about is yeah. um, what to me, I feel like, you know, when you go see a, a counselor, a psychologist, it's like they unlock parts of your brain or they put tools in your tool belt for living, right? They help you yeah. to mentally cope. They give you tools. What do you think is something that's been, um, yeah, a legitimate tool, something that you can now use or now that you think about um, when you struggle with mental health or, or you're able to see mental health at a distance, what's a tool that you feel like she's given you to navigate life? Ooh. Ooh, um, some of you would know about CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And so with me, I found, what is it real quick though? Just, Oh, you've pretend got me I'm a Martian. You've okay. got me there. So basically, yeah. is it, I think it's helping with a, a, a slight rewiring of some of your thought processes. Yep. Basically. Yeah. And so for me, 
I, uh, I'm going to sidetrack. I just started watching the Michael Jordan, uh, the, the Last Dance on Netflix, and I looked at Naomi before this came out, and I said, "Babe, something in me like I might get emotional while I watch this, or I might get a certain way because I looked up to this man as a child, and he's the, all these." Posts came out going, you guys are not going to like the way I come across and the way I've been portrayed because I will win at all costs and you either get on board or you get out of the way. And that's how I've been. I saw as a young boy, anger gets results with my father early on in my formative years. He did, he did go and see someone work on that. And in our later years, everyone that meets him now thinks he's the most gentle, kind, loving man that they've ever met. But I learned anger gets results. So as a young man, as a teacher, as a partner, as a human, if something didn't go my way, I would either get angry or do whatever it took to get where I wanted to be. And I got emotional in front of Naomi and I said, I see very many similarities between me and this, this man and I. Like I'm not likening myself to Michael Jordan in any way, but the thinking, the thought process is that I will succeed. And so... I lost track of what the question was. Well, what tools has she oh, the tools. given you? Yeah. She's in, in, you know, now you recognize you're, you're an angry dude yeah. and you recognize that. So what has she helped to unblock or what tools has she put in your belt that allow you to deal with this anger now? She's taught me to, to, to work through those thoughts. So on the road, I, I love fast cars. I'm blessed with what I get to drive, but I'm a very impatient man. And so I've had to learn how to think is, is me beeping, overtaking, getting aggressive, pulling past these people really necessary or is this my impatience? If Naomi leaves the kitchen a mess, do I need to bark at her and say, can you get in there and fix that? Or do I step up as a man that loves, serves and protects and I clean that myself? I've, I've learned to stop and think and sort through my thoughts. Yeah. So we got there in the long way. Yeah. 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 It's, so it's, rather, it's about rather sorting than, through thoughts. Yeah. Okay. That's great, man. For me. For yeah. me. Yeah. Dude, that's, an, that's a massive gift. The ability to not act, but to, on your way to acting, think about it. That's huge. That, that power is huge. Yeah. Awesome. A previous psychologist in Perth said, I haven't met a lot of people like you, but you are so quick to reply. And he made me for weeks on end stop for three seconds and think and then reply. So, and that was part of the anger management as well. Because if I, he said, your brain is like a bookshelf. And if someone asks you a question, you just grab something and throw it out there. And he goes, I haven't met a lot of people that have that ability to just be so quick witted. And I suppose as a brown boy that was too dark to be light and too light to be dark growing up, I was bullied. And I wasn't a big boy, mm. so I was witty. I was mm. cutting with the way I spoke and with the words I said. And, mm. and so those kinds of things I'm trying to reprogram to spit love and not hate. Yeah, it's good, man. So that, that's something I'm really working on. Yeah, it's so good. Um, tell me what was, what was bullying like? That, something that you can remember. So um, Ooh, okay. either... Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're going to remember bullying no matter what. Like, I, yeah, I, yeah, I've yeah. got my memories. And so what's something that you remember? And I guess maybe not just like a story, but how has that shaped you, you know, 20-something years later, whatever it is, how do you look back at that moment? How do you reflect on that moment? So the moment it is what it is, but I'd love to know kind of how you see it now. Yeah, so there was two of us. There was two little skinny dudes in the group at high school in year nine. So the way I've described it to people is everyone in year eight, so there wasn't year seven in high school when I was riding a dinosaur to school. So um, year eight, everyone was fresh, new and scared. Year nine was that, that was the year. I wanted to take my own life is where I was at. I had a pocket knife and, you know, I was like, this is how it's going to be. I was, I felt hopeless. Every day they were trying to make myself and this guy called Alan fight. And I was just like, why is everyone like sort of picking on my size and picking on me and who I am and calling me the N-word and all kinds of things? Mm. And I, I had that angry little man syndrome. Mm. And so for me, it was, it was hard. I, I could not see a way out of it at 14. But by year 10, I was flourishing on the basketball court. 
year 11, I was sort of nailing the a- academics and started break dancing. And by year 12, I was head boy at the school. And we were doing like break dance shows for the entire school at the same. And so I went from the bully kid to the, to the king of the school. And I, I use that loosely, but I never forgot where I came from. I never forgot being at the bottom of the pile. Mm. It shaped who I was as a teacher. No one was ever bullied in my class. The bullies had the one chance and then I pulled them aside and we had a chat. And sometimes it was stern. Sometimes I'd call them out in front of the class. Other times I'd refer them on to a leader above me. I sort of, one of the gifts I've been given is reading people. So I'd read the situation. Sometimes I'd pull the kid aside and they'd break down in tears and mum and dad are spending money on smokes and drinks instead of them having food at home. So he's coming to school hungry and then someone annoys him and he wants to punch a kid in the face. The kid wasn't a bad kid. He was neglected. So it taught me what it felt like to be at the bottom of the pile. Mm. Yeah, man. It's heavy. Yeah. And that's why I'm passionate about suicide prevention. Mm. Hugely. Yeah. What, how did you steer clear of that? I suppose. Did you have intervention? Did you have someone (laughs) speaking to you at the time? Like what? Yeah. Yeah. My youth leader. Yeah sat me down and he goes, Ari, you're a pastor's son that comes from a successful family. You're intelligent. You're a drummer. You're gifted. You're talented. Get over yourself. Mm. That was a slap in the face to this day. I will never forget that conversation. I went out of there shocked, shocked (laughs) out of wanting to kill myself. I couldn't believe someone would say that to me. (laughs) He put you on blast. Yeah. 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 Yeah, But listen, in my later years, in my 20s, 30s, Mm. When all, you know, I chose to walk away from my faith in my 20s. That's mm-hmm. some dark times. To this day, if a thought enters my mind, I rebuke that thought and I move on. I, I change where my head's at immediately. I never dwell. I never allow those negative thoughts to stay mm. in my head longer than the second that it pops up. Mm. And it's like that. It's like a pop-up window. Mm. Oh, you should jump. Because I live on the 29th floor. We get heavy in this one. Yeah, you should jump. I could be having the best day of my life. And that, oh, you should randomly walking through my house, past my little bunnies on the floor to turn on Netflix. Nah, that's not for me. Get out of my head. Move on. Yeah, man. It's wild. Um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> tell me about, so you, you mentioned the divorce. Um, so I'm keen to... I guess the question I'd be I'd be wondering is less about what happened per se. Mm. I'd be curious to know what it's like to um, be in the church going through a divorce. There are stigmas, there are relationships, yeah. there are people pulling for it, uh, against it, et cetera. Mm. What is your what's your what's your assessment of that process? What do you remember about that process? Yeah, so I'm trying to be very choosy with my words because I never want to badmouth either that person or the pastoral team at the time or thank you. And that's okay. Hashtag blessed. (laughs) Look, here's, here's the thing, like for anyone else, potentially, how do I want to put this? I just love to know what your experience is. Look, don't say any names. There's no purpose in that. But in the midst of it, you had an experience, you had things Mm. that were helpful and you had things that were probably unhelpful. And I'd just love to know, what does that look like? I think that everyone that got alongside me had the best of intentions, not only for me, but for that relationship Mm. and uh, for the other party involved. But I found with the accusations made against me, which were uh, domestic violence or controlling nature and things of the type, and with what was going on in the relationship, I think any male that's wife would go missing and come home like whatever, blind drunk, you you lose your you lose control. You don't know how to handle that. Mm. I didn't know what to do because I knew what was going on. Mm. So whether you believe in your inner voice or the Holy Spirit or whatever it is you believe in, I knew what was going on. Like, and I, I knew that there was some mistruths and there was a lot of distrust. So I went to the church and I, through that situation, I did everything I could. I owned everything that was said about me. 
I did everything the pastoral team asked of me. So I stood down from leading uh, as a gospel community at where I was or a connect group or whatever you guys call it. I had to step down from drumming. Um, my dirty laundry was being aired and I think they were doing well at trying to contain it. But when people know you, they can see your social media and shifts within your social media or shifts within your life or your demeanor. And it was difficult, but I felt supported by my friends on the music team, by the pastor that I was mainly dealing with. Mm -hmm. He, yeah, I, I, to this day, am still grateful for the times he and I spent together. Mm -hmm. I don't know what was happening on the back end or the other side of things. I'm grateful for his support. I'm grateful for the man that stood by me and did everything they could. And unfortunately with my situation, it came to a point where I felt like I had been sidelined and benched and um, the situation was being played. And so I actually had to um, leave the church I was at because I felt like I was not even, it wasn't even growing. I was stagnant sure. and the situation was outside of my control. Not that I wanted to be in control of it, but after, I don't know how long, I think it was 12 months. Oh, a pa another pastor in the church looked at me and he goes, my hands are tied. I do not agree with this, but with our constitution and how it's written and what we must follow as a church, which I applaud. They, like, this church did a great deal because if I was everything that was described, they were protecting someone else. Mm. But it was hard for a man that foolishly agreed with everything that was being said about him. Where, where parts of it were true, but yeah. And when the truth came out and I always had in my heart, what's done in darkness will come into light. When that came out, I went and saw that pastor and I said, you need to sit down, you need to strap in and you need to listen. And I said, bang, 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 bang. And it's like the poor man had seen a ghost. Mm. And I think to this day, he still feels guilty possibly about, because I was dealt, I felt like I was dealt with quite harshly, but I understand when a church has to deal with these situations, they're there to guide you as a couple. They're there to mm. guide you as individuals. Mm. But I find, I found it to be difficult. I found friends within the music team were struggling with what they were seeing mm -hmm. and what was going on. And I was brought up that when you are under leadership, you, you need to serve that leadership and you need to see that through. And it's biblical that when you are underneath someone, that I needed to respect what was being said, what was going on, even mm. if I didn't agree with it. Mm. And so for as long as I could, I towed that line up until a point where I thought it was starting to negatively affect my ability to attend and get back to the place of serving. Yeah. Did that answer that well? Yeah, absolutely, man. Class, absolutely. With class, the aim is to be classy today and to yeah. not sort of air any dirty little dream. Look, that was wonderful, brother. Uh, you know, experientially, people are going to experience divorce in 2020. There are going to be Christian people who experience divorce, and there's going to yeah. be people that ride it out and handle it differently. And ultimately, my aim in going there was not to speak about anyone, but to speak about your experience and what you've learned. Um, part of that, and on the back end of that, um, how did you, how did that frame or shape your thoughts on God? Like, did you ever make the connection of God constantly speaks about adultery. He speaks about, you know, his, his beloved Israel going out and sleeping with the nations. And, um, did you ever make that, I don't want to map that onto you, but did you ever, um, have any thoughts about that as it relates to fidelity or God? Or <clears throat> was anything? it, was it Hosea? Is that the yeah. one? Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. I thought, cause it happened in the engagement period and it happened to me in, in the marriage and both times I was told what was happening and both times I reached out for the truth and both times I had to find out another way. And I said to God, I am not Hosea because I, again, I, mm. I have been a very proud man on the borderline of arrogance in my lifetime. And I think through that, there's times when I said, if this is your will, then you're going to have to give me the strength because for a proud man, that's, you know, that, that's hard to take. It's hard, it's hard to take. No doubt, brother. I've, I've been cheated on, but I guess um, to you, what do you, what do you ascribe that feeling to be? Like, how do you, 
you know, how do you, how do you describe to a teenager who's never been cheated on what, what, why trust is important or, or what that feels like on the other end when trust is broken? <sighs> um, it's like someone's ripped your heart out of your chest and just squeezed it and there's pieces fell on the floor and you're left staring at the floor with a gaping hole in your chest, wondering how you're going to put that all together and then put it back inside and still continue. Yeah. And I think, and I don't know if this is a side note, after the first instance, I don't think I ever recovered. I don't mm. think I did enough work to ever love that woman the way, like, with God's love and the way I should have. Mm. Does that make sense? Sure. If you want to expand upon that, like in what sense does it, um, what, what, what more, what, what should someone do who has been cheated on, I guess, or, or what, if you could jump in a time oh, machine. I've got a map for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, seek wise counsel, not count, not the counsel of your friends, not necessarily the counsel of your family. You might need someone that's completely and utterly got nothing to do with you two people because they can be objective. Mm. They, they can look at that with a set of fresh eyes. And the first time I think we did go to see someone and the other party wasn't keen on the counsellor who was a Christian man, a very well sought after counsellor said, you've broken this man's trust and blatantly lied to his face and you need to earn that back. If he is insecure, you might need to show him your phone and, and reassure him. And you might need to do these certain things. And if one party's not willing to commit to that, it's, there's going to be breakdown. And I think maybe that's where that resentment within me came and maybe why there was always that fire burning mm. with the anger because you did that to me. That's another one of the feelings for the young people or whoever's watching this. You did that to me. Whereas the second time around the mountain and when it did fall apart, it wasn't you did that to me. Mm. It's what did I do in this situation? Who was I? to, because I'm not responsible for someone else's decisions, one iota, but I'm just responsible for my actions, reactions and behaviour that could have led someone to a place where they might have done something that they didn't think they could do or, you know, be someone that they didn't think they could be. So I decided that I need to change it. And I, my Naomi, this week called me out in a specific area of my life. Old Ira would have ignored her and said, that's all, that's all good, that's, that, that's your cross to bear, I'm going to do me. Mm. And the last four days I have done so much work on myself mm. and taken someone else's advice and opinion that I love mm. and made a change. And so I can now see the growth from the breakdown of that previous relationship and how it has blessed this current one. Yeah, so good, man. Praise mm. God for that. Hey, um, tell me, you mentioned earlier in your 20s, you walked away from God. What was that journey like? What was that experience like? What was a rough? What, what was, okay. <laughs> yeah. What was it? <laughs> how about, how about let's start here. What was the catalyst? What was the thing that you're like, you know what, this, and now either softly working away or. Right, I got that right. tattoo and my youth leader said, if you get a tattoo, you're going to need to stand down because I can't have my leaders getting tattoos. And now with the youth in my youth group going, Ira has a tattoo, mum and dad, therefore I want to get one. He goes, I want my leaders to be above reproach. Mm. And so when I got that, and it is, it's a tribal face of Jesus. I don't know if you can see it. And that was the first thing I ever got at 18. And I was made to stand down. And at that stage, I think I was running Youth Alive Dance in WA. And I was the head and I was break dancing, doing all the shows. And I was drumming at the church, the youth group, the young adults. And I had it. My finger was in every pie. And I said to God, you say that if we're lukewarm, you're going to spit us out. Mm. And I said, I'm far from hot. So I'm now cold and I need to see mm. what it's really like out in the world. I've heard that we need to be in the world and not of the world. What are you hiding from me? What is this apple that Eve took a bite out of mm. that I'm being told to stay away from? That's a good one. Write that down. What is that apple mm. that I want to, that, that piece of fruit that I want to take a bite out of that I've been forbidden to do? Mm. And that ended up being, um, drinking, partying, um, being sexually immoral, um, assault charges. Uh, I was, was a stripper at one stage in my life because of my low self-esteem. Hmm. And so self-esteem has played a huge part in my journey. 
And that's something else I really want to talk about with young people is self-esteem and about mm. knowing who you are. It's not so much about finding yourself. It's about loving who you are and growing and wanting to grow daily. Brother, thank you for saying that. I mean, it, it's hard for me on this end um, for you to drop that bomb and me not to go there. So you were a stripper at some point in time. Like what, what was that like? To, like you said, it, be, it was, it was because of self-esteem. How did you, mm. how did you get through the doors of that place? Like what, how does one even, yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me, um, like, where, what does your journey look like? I think it's, I, so I, I walked away and my parents had rules, you know, being pastors and they were like, no girls in the house. Cause they were missionaries at the time. So they, uh, I think they'd handed off the church to my older brother and they were over in Malaysia and they said, no girls in the house, no riding your motorbike while you're unlicensed. I, I was a hoon. And, um, no alcohol in the house because both of my grandfathers were alcoholics. So we never had alcohol in our house as a child. And in the week, in one week, so I'd blown out, I think it was an ankle or a knee at the time. And the physio, the hospital was literally a two minute ride around the corner from my house. And no one was home to take me to the physio. And back then there was no Uber or no taxis 45 minutes out of the city where I lived. So I hopped on the bike and rode there. I had, um, some alcohol delivered to the house for Australia day because a mate was picking me up and taking me to their place for Australia day. And a friend came by and she brought me some monkey business ice cream and my brothers sort of let mum know and my brothers kicked me out of the house. I moved into a friend's house. It was the lowest point of my life. And I don't know how, but I stumbled across something. It must've been online. And it was like, do you, are you a fit male? Do you want to make good money? And I was like, yes, yes. And so I went for this interview mm. and this guy was like, I like you, I like your charisma, you're fit, you're working tonight as a topless waiter. And it went, went from there and I was just at hen's nights. Mm. And so I did, I think I did about three strips and at the time I had a, a non-Christian girlfriend, I wasn't at church. And I thought this, I still had that moral code, this is still not right. Mm. This, I'm, I'm for someone specifically, I'm not for, for the masses. And so I just continued to topless waiter for about a year. Mm -hmm. which sort of went towards helping me build a house in Perth mm -hmm. when I was a young man. And um, it was, it was difficult because I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. Like I've always, no matter how far I've strayed, I knew right from wrong. Mm -hmm. And so it was an ego thing. Everyone loved the fact that I was a teacher by day and a stripper by weekend. It was, it was a, it was a, it was, it was about the footy boys and the boys that I stunted motorbikes with knowing that Ira, I think it was Ira or Bootsy, as people call me, is this wild man that, you know, is a phys ed teacher all week long. And then on the weekends, he's, he's out having fun. Mm. It was all about the ego. I have to be honest with you because it's yeah. filthy. You don't want old women grabbing your bum, especially when you have a girlfriend. Mm. You're put in situations as a strong male that you're still uncomfortable with. Mm. God knows how females do that and deal with the way men can be. Yeah. Tell me about that. Like, so there's, obviously an objectifying nature, whether you're a man or you're a woman in that um, scenario. And then, you know, I, I've been to a million strip clubs and, and in light of that, there is this um, transactional aspect and it almost is like this dehumanizing. I can treat you a certain way because mm. there's this distance. Right. And, um, and that's what I always really felt filthy about. Like I, I love seeing yeah. naked women, but there was this weird, like this something about this feels Yes. Subhuman, you know, mm. um, but tell me in your experience from being on the other end of that and seeing these oogling eyes or seeing whatever it is you're seeing, what was that like? What did you experience? What was, what did it feel like? What do you remember thinking about them or yourself? Well, there's two sides to that coin. I remember having a distinct conversation with God and saying, you've given me these gifts and I've given everything to the church. Now it's time for me to use these gifts to to make myself famous or to make myself some money. And so with the stripping, it, there's two sides of the coin. As women, I suppose, that work in strip clubs, men go in there, there's, there's men that worship them and think they're, they're it and they aspire to be with someone like that and they idolise someone. And then there's the people that you're here to entertain me. So you had the whole spectrum of feeling like, and I use, I don't like saying it, so feeling like a God, I don't like using that word, or feeling um, wanted. Wanted is probably the best way to talk about it. And then there was feeling like people 
are paying you so much money so they think that they can say and do what they want to do. So, and you never knew what you were walking into. Like, like today, I didn't know what, I, the same feeling today with this, and you're a Sorry, mate. <laughs> and you're a mate. Oh man, oh man. <laughs> but it's walking into the unknown. Okay. Cause you don't know if it's gonna be, and also for me, my first ever party was stunning 20 something year olds dressed up as nurses and mm. every, you know what I mean? And then yeah. other times you go out to a rich woman's house in Mandra, which was down near the beach. And they're all 40 something year old women that had rich husbands and thought that they could do whatever the heck they wanted. Mm. So yeah, you, you, you got it all. Mm. It wasn't so much that you felt dirty. One day you might feel dirty. The next day you might feel like a million bucks. Mm. Thanks man. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate you going to that level. I mean, I, I knew you would speak honestly and that's what part of today's about, you know, just you dudes. Um, talking honestly um tell me tell me about the all right so you're you're lukewarm and now you're probably cold yeah. tell me what did now what did your prodigal moment look like or what did what did <laughs> coming back you know was it a was it a slow kind of step back into the church and back into faith well you said you were always exhibited faith probably but walked away from god and you know mm. kind of probably turned your back on the church um what was the reconciliation process back for you. You got a gift with interviewing, don't you? Um, <laughs> I, um, I remember I had, there's one memory I distinctly have that it was 3am. I'd gotten home from the club. I think I was still in mum and dad's house at the time. And I said goodnight to the Holy Spirit and God and went to bed. So he was, he was always with me, but I wasn't serving because to me, church was, we had a small church growing up. People were always in our house. There was always meetings. There was always prayer meetings. And then I moved to a bigger church and I was out every night of the week, serving, drumming, leading, being. And so for me now, I could do what I wanted when I wanted. And so it came to a point with life falling apart and assault chart. I was going to court through things. And one of my old mentors reached out and he goes, you come to church with me today? I said, you buy me lunch? Cause I was at a low point in my life. I had no money left. I was, there was nothing. And I said, you buy me lunch. I'll come to church. So I turn up to this church that I know about. So it was like the cousin church of where I used to go, 15 minutes down the road. And I sat with Mike, I don't mind saying his name, and um, this pastor was there and the altar call came and I said, listen, I've heard it all. I, I know this. I could do the altar call for you. But I said, if he says he's three lines, if he says he's three things, I'm yours. And word for word, and Pastor David Storer and I are two very different personalities. And I don't know if he felt in the spirit to say those things those days. And him and I have had this conversation. But he said the exact three phrases I gave to God. And I don't believe in giving God ultimatums. I don't think that's right. But, you know, in, in my simple thinking back then, that is what mm. in, in tears down mm. the front. Mm. I was there mourning both night services every Sunday after that. And immediately I went home, called my stripper boss, retired, flushed the um, tribulus, which is a testosterone booster, down the toilet, called my parents, um, deleted everything off um, Facebook, the little black book that you call your mobile phone, deleted all these numbers <laughs> out of my phone. I was serious about that. Yeah, well. And that was, and I still have it in my calendar in my phone, I believe it was... Feb, fifth or something in that, 2011. Amazing. I believe. I have to double check the day because I have a terrible... Look, I won't hold you to that. That's yeah. all right. But yeah, that day <laughs> was a marked difference. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I've been far from perfect from that day. Yeah. Far from perfect. But I still believe that I, I call myself a Christian, but I'm not your typical Christian by any stretch of the imagination at all. But when people ask me what it is, I said, I have a relationship with God. I'm not a religious man. I do not like religion. I believe religion has its part in wars and tragedies and things all over the world. But I have a relationship with God. I believe in his word. He lives in my heart. And I try to live a certain way. That's good, man. Hey, tell me why um, at the time, for whatever reason, you don't have to justify it. But I'm curious to know your thoughts on why whatever three words it is that you said, what, what was it about that? Like, what was it, what, what was that testing about to you? What do you, you know, now yeah. that you look back on it, what do you think that was all about? You've, you've heard it said pro probably by a million people. If you are real, 
then you will speak to me through that man mm. or you will speak to me. But at that time, I heard I, he never stopped speaking to me when I was not mm-hmm. classifying myself as a Christian man. He yeah. uh, To this day, and my my partner Naomi, I said, you, you, you see that I have a sixth sense and you and I and Christians would know that as the Holy Spirit speaks to me. Mm-hmm. But she is like, even though she's on her own journey doing what she's doing, she goes, I believe in your gut feeling. And so I always felt like God was there. So for me, I needed him to do something that was, to, for someone who is not a tattooed, dark-skinned male that speaks a certain way, is this little wannabe gangster, to say three phrases that would be out of the norm that would prove to me that you are real, that you do love me and that you do want me. Because come back to the self-esteem, yeah. all yeah. we want as humans is to be wanted. Look at the way we worship these people on Instagram and the Kardashians and the Michael Jordans of the world. And the, I don't want to be famous. I want to make a difference. I don't want to be rich. I want to be free. Mm. I lost 70% of my business with COVID-19 shutting gyms down. And my, and Naomi thought I would fall apart. Mm. And I did not because it's bigger than I am. Mm. I've always said, if my business collapsed, I would be the first one at McDonald's flipping burgers again. Five of the best years of my life. Shout out to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a sponsored ad. <laughs> it was five of the best years of my life. I would do whatever it takes to keep myself and my partner, my family, when I have kids, afloat. I will stop at nothing to provide and to love and to care. And so today we cleaned a bridal shop. One of my guys rolled his ankle on the weekend. Together we went and cleaned. Um, tomorrow morning I've got an insurance job. I'm back on the tools. So I went from doing a two or three hours of admin a week to now looking forward to getting out of the house because I'm, I'm essential. <laughs> <laughs> I'm essential, y'all. <laughs> that's good, man. That's so cool. Hey, brother, that's it. I mean, that's the grilling. Uh, this has been an awesome interview. I've loved chatting with you. Is there anything that you'd want to close with? I mean, I don't need to... I don't need any more, but is there anything that you feel like, man, I don't, we haven't covered this or I'd really love to say this. Do you remember me at the Melbourne Union Royals tryouts? Of course, man. Was I as quick as I think I am? <laughs> <laughs> you were fast, buddy, but you didn't make it through the season. So it's one of those things. Now you, you know, know why we'll never, the partner we'll at the know. time said, yeah, she said, <laughs> this will clash with church. I don't want you playing. Yeah. That's one of my biggest regrets is yeah. actually not saying I think I can, because I was always brought up as a pastor's kid, you must attend church. And this partner at the time had the same thinking. So I had those three tryouts with you. And then I came up to you, not knowing you were a Christian man and said, yeah. this will clash with my church going, yeah. I can't continue. And you I, gave nothing away. I didn't even, couldn't like, <laughs> it wasn't even a light. Your eyes went, oh, respect brother. It was like, okay, brother. Yeah. And then all those years later, I walk into at church and I was like get out of here who's that yep. fellow on base so, yep. yeah so I always wanted to know your side of that I was telling Naomi um about how I know you and my first memory of you was that yeah my second memory was this man that plugged every hole that that church needed to be plugged whether it was sound <laughs> or bass or creative or I, uh, I, I, thanks for I that, see bud. you thanks yeah. Ben. hey um I here's the thing I think when you're going through preseason as a coach um, later on in the season, I was outwardly about the Lord. We were praying uh, before games and all that kind of stuff. But I think at preseason, it's it's a feeling out process, right? And so yeah. at that time, for me, I'm like, who um, who are, who are going to be the men that make this team? Who are going to be yeah. the men that stick around? Who are going to be the, you know, and it's not always about, there is a, a physical assessment you're trying to figure out, you know, who do I have in this position or whatever. Yeah. But there's also a sussing out of the personality and the, and all that kind of stuff. And look, at the time, I was just like, I don't know. I don't know if this dude will be around. I don't know if this dude will be around. And you were on my, I don't know if this dude will be around kind of thing. At and the I time. wanted to be. Yeah. And that's the thing. I'm a committed man. <laughs> I know you one are. Thing. Now, and now so that, that, I that know. broke me. Yeah. Not being able to do that. That's one of my, I wish, because my body is not the way it is. And I'm mates with Johnny Tostevin and some of the guys that were yeah. superstars in that league. Yeah. And another guy, the wizard that goes to my gym. And they've always said, Booty, go back. And I said, I'm 36. <laughs> my neck's not like it what it used to be with the head spinning from breakdancing. I said, it's, my time's passed. 
Look, here's the thing. Um, if I'm playing coach right now, you, you don't need that validation. And I know mm -hmm. you don't need that validation, but I know you would have been a, a quality member of that team. I know you would have added value. I know you would have been a good player. I know you would have put your neck on the line for those men. And so mm. one of the things, brother, I, like I didn't play high school ball and I, you know, every once in a while I'll have a dream, like, why didn't I? But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, you think about that as a man. And part of that is just being validated. Could mm. I have done that? And you know what? I have the utmost faith that you could have done that. So mm. if, if I can bless you in any way, let it go. You know yeah. what I mean? Like continue to live your life. Know that Coach Dom, for what it's worth, knows that you would have played on that team, played well for that team. And Which team you know were what? you uh, coaching? Offense or defense? Offense, yeah. Yeah, see, because I wanted to be your wide receiver. In hindsight, because like yeah. growing older and learning, I would have been better to be a safety or a cornerback because I'm quick and I want to give the hit, not receive the hit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm no too doubt. soft to take a hit. No doubt. But yeah, I, I think that we would have had a fun season. So it wasn't even – I appreciate the validation, and I think a small part of me wanted that, but I wanted mm. to see what we could have achieved together. And mm. then finding out you're a Christian man, mm. I think that we would have had such a strong bond. So that's yeah. why I was honoured when you reached out about this today. Because yeah. I looked up to you then, I looked up to you when I was at Koa, and I look up to you now. So I felt that's why I wanted to go into this. And I said to Naomi, just before I got on the call, I want to, one, respect the man, and two, honour this conversation the best mm. way I can. I don't want to big note myself. I don't want to air dirty laundry because I thought we might go there. Mm. I wanted to just be open and honest and hopefully say things that may potentially help someone that may see that. No doubt. That's how I try to live my life. Yeah. Cheers, homie. I think we've accomplished that. I'm so thankful for this time together that we've shared. Are you guys down in Geelong? We are. Hey, how about this? I'm going to I'm gonna click off for now. I'm going to officially end this, and I'll jump back on the line with you. Is that cool? Done. All right. Love you, bud. Take care. Love you. Bye. See ya. I'm going to nail this. Well, hey, that's it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Uh, if you did, please help me promote. I know you know how to do that, like or share or subscribe or all those kind of clever things that people are talking about. Um, but also, if you have anyone that you think would be a good interview for this uh, podcast, please do leave that in the comments down below. Let's close today with these words in Hebrews chapter 10. Paul reminds us, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Until that day, guys, keep doing life together. Love you, share this around, bless you, peace. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good, pretty good.